Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I'm going to reflect on what it means to be a missional leader who both embodies and creates an ethos that shapes a community of faith to actually be able to reach its neighborhood, its region with the gospel. Of course, that's an audacious goal, but in my mind, every local church and in this 21st century now, post-COVID, we know that most churches in some ways are, are struggling. Not, it's not a universal statement, but it seems to be true. And the only way forward is the way is, and it's always been, which is to re-tap, re-engage into the missional imagination and calling that God has revealed through the scriptures, ultimately in the sending of the Son, and reshape our communities, not just into whatever they were in the past, but to be fully present in a way that they can become missional movements. Because when we read scripture, at least the way that I've read scripture, and the way that I teach the reading of scripture, um, God has called the church, God has called humanity to be a missional community that reflects God, who God is, God's character in the world, to the world, and for the world. And that's an audacious goal again. So let's reflect a little bit on the role that the leader can be. And again, leadership gets a bad name sometimes, but you know, implicit in all of this is the idea of true servant leadership where we lead the way that Jesus led, where we're committed to a cross-formed life. But when we talk about leadership, we still need to like talk about what it is. And I've always appreciated the concise statement that John Maxwell is known for. He always says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Leaders are people who add value to others. Now, that doesn't mean that leaders themselves don't gain value from other people. This isn't just putting somebody on a on a pedestal. We need to be careful with that. But leadership at its core is influence. And influence, that's a potent word if you think about what does it mean to influence someone, especially as a leader. Well, influence is the ability to persuade or move people, institutions to adopt a certain course of action or to believe certain things to be true. It's also, and I think this is a key piece that perhaps we need to re-engage with a little bit more in our world. I learned from Earl McManus long, long ago that leadership is also, and influence is also, the ability to change the things, the people, the ideas that a person cares about. In my own thinking, I often talk about a map. You know, what's the missional insight that we have? How do we need to adjust or align our attitudes. That's our heart. So our head is the insights. Our heart is the attitudes and uh, that we need to align. And then we, of course, we need a plan of implementation. So maps. So leadership is the ability to influence, to help people know what to do, how to think, what to care about, and how to act. Not ultimately starts with us. 
And so in our context, and in the context of what I'm talking about, we're not just talking about leadership, we're talking about missional leadership. In other words, those very things, those core things that Scripture has teach us that resonate with the will of God. At a core, that means uh, promoting the holy love of God and neighbor as ourselves. It involves participation, active participation in this world, in this creation, to be missionals, to be in tune with and, with and acting upon God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's to have a kingdom mindset is another way to talk about that. So missional leadership is influence that unleashes others to participate in God's mission for his creation. Women and men who are called and serve as missional leaders then work to shape and create a mission-centered ethos within our, their communities of faith and such an ethos, I'm going to suggest, is shaped by at least three things. The language that we use, the environments that we inhabit, and the actions that we take. And so let's explore those three things in the remainder of this podcast. First, language. Uh, secular leadership experts have long recognized the power of language. Bart Nannis, for example, in his book, Visionary Leadership, wrote, There's no more powerful engine driving an organization towards excellence and long-range success than an attractive, worthwhile, and achievable vision of the future widely shared. And missional leaders deploy the power of language to invite people to live in a new land. Walter Brueggemann has a great book called, on preaching called Cadences of Heaven. The language that we use as missional leaders, as missional pastors, is language that invites people to inhabit a new land in the now. And that's a land that evokes God-sized dreams and is permeated with the love and hope that God unleashed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and continues to pour into our lives through the power of the Spirit. Again, we're not talking about mere rhetoric here, right? We're not talking about making up words, but we are talking about using words that paint the beautiful pictures of what God wants to do in our lives. Because it's never just rhetoric, because human language by itself doesn't have intrinsic power apart from the work of God. And the Bible, as the Word of God, invites us into this new world as the Scriptures announce to us God's mission. You know, I have my new book, Astonished by the Word. That's where the language ultimately comes from. And so I'm convinced, and I've been convinced for a long time that as readers of scripture, that we need to think about the overarching story of the Bible. In the earlier part of my career, I was probably best known for uh, the way to describe the entire biblical narrative. And if you check out the show notes, I'm going to put a link to a video on YouTube where I actually walk through the entire biblical narrative in less than 10 minutes if you're interested. But we need to re-engage that overarching story to see how it moves from creation 
to, to new creation and, and, and then ask ourselves, how is it that my life fits into this big story that God has given us through the scriptures? You know, too often, it's too easy. And we preachers, we make this mistake sometimes, or even we do this in Bible studies, is that we have a tendency to read the Bible as a collection of fragments and that we can grab a piece here or there for a sermon or for a teaching. What, what we miss, though, is this bigger story in which the scriptures literally focus on God's mission. And those who know my earlier works know that I see mission as kind of the key lens that allows us to unpack scripture along with the idea of community and holiness. We're a missional community that incarnates, that embodies God's character to the world, in the world, for the world. In humanity, as a humanity, we play a role in God's mission. In God's original plan, humanity was created to serve as that missional community, the man and the woman, to reflect God's character in all creation. God said, Feel, fill the earth. But human rebellion, human sin, lostness, brokenness, and that whole process is most poignantly described in the narratives of Genesis 3 to 11. And then you can also see it really clearly in the New Testament and, for example, in Romans 1 to 3. But human lostness, the fact that creation is now broken and that the very people that God had called to be his missional people are lost apart from God's grace, that created the need for God to work a plan to bring reconciliation that began with God's missional calling of Abram, through which then grew to a, the nation of Israel, through whom God would work to bring salvation to the end of the earth. God's plan of salvation for humanity reaches its climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. Israel's Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled all that Israel was to be and unleashed his followers to uh, into the world to share the good news of God's salvation through the power of the Spirit. The scriptural story ends then where it began, with new creation. Ostensibly, life in the new creation will be a renewal, a full renewal, a full restoration of God's original purposes for humanity, living as a missional community for all creation by reflecting God's character to it. You know, as I've implied the biblical narrative moves from creation to fall to Israel to Jesus the Christ to the church to the new creation. And if we're going to be missional leaders who want to use language and paint beautiful pictures, we need to understand, breathe, and live that narrative that I just described. The missional leader, she or he, uses the power of language to help others to catch a glimpse of what God is doing. And the goal of this use of language is simple. It's always simple. What's the point of reading scripture? It's about conversion. And, what, and when we talk about conversion, I'm not just talking about the conversion of the world around us. Of course, everyone needs to align with what God is doing. But also, every time we ourselves get ready to deploy that language, we need to ask ourselves, how am I, do I need to realign with this text so that I can embody it and model it in front of my, my folks? So the, the purpose of Scripture is always to call all of us to conversion, 
insiders need to reconvert, realign. Those who are not yet following Jesus, whether we want to call them outsiders or seekers, they need to align. But it's about conversion to the big purposes of God in the now. So that's language. How about environment? We need to create spaces for the dynamic worship of God and the fellowship of those who've gathered to worship. And we need to maneuver skillfully when we do that, when we create environments between two false temptations. And this is where some of you may disagree with me a little bit. So let's have some conversation if you don't like what I'm about to say. The first temptation is a stodgy allegiance to some traditional, liturgical, heavy service. Traditionalists tend to forget that every tradition began as a contemporary and fresh expression in some context. It just becomes fixed at some point. It's simply wrong-headed to think that an orthodox theology will translate into only one type of worship. There's multiple environments in which we can worship God powerfully. But the second temptation is to overemphasize edginess and novelty as evidence of missional zeal. It's always a fine line seeking to speak clearly and relevantly to, to a new audience, or as I like to say, when we're learning to speak human. There's always that fine line between learning to speak human and actually losing the very essence of the gospel itself. So just notice that. But here's a couple of thoughts regardless. When we're trying to create environments for the profound worship of God and the proclamation of the good news, prayer. Never underestimate the importance and power of prayer. Missional communities resonate with God through prayer. And I'm not just talking about prayer with words. I'm talking about also profound sitting in silence to listen for God whether you use centering prayer or other practices, but we want to uh, saturate our communities with persons who, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Scripture, the Bible offers to its readers and to its hearers a new world. It's an invitation to experience a new life and to live in the new reality of a new creation in the present time. And missional leaders understand that communities of faith need to be saturated with Scripture. The Bible is the most profound book that humanity possesses. If it really is what it claims to be, the Word of God, that has to be true. When was the last time you were really astonished by it? As if we want to be a missional community, let us rediscover its power and its ability to create and shape an ethos. Let us, again, pray that prayer that I love to teach. Lord, astonish us anew with the riches of your word. Then the third thing that goes in with creating powerful environments, missional environments, is that we need to deploy the gifts openly. Now, I'm not just talking about some kind of charismatic gifts. That's fine. We know the ultimate gift is love. But we need, as we lead and encourage 
our communities to grow in grace and Christ-likeness, we, do, we can do that by celebrating and deploying the gifts that the whole body has. Uh, you know, many churches today have rediscovered the power of arts and worship, I mean, music, painting, video, drama, art. There's all kinds of interesting ways. People write creating new liturgy, writing new songs. Allow, people, allow the artists to help us imagine the beauty of God and what it looks like to live as God's people in the world. So let us encourage people that have gifts. Um, there's all the gifts that are listed in the scriptures. And we know that no gift is more important than the other, but allow the gifts to be deployed openly. We never, if we're going to be the missional leader, the worst thing that we can do is only showcase what our great, what our our great gift of gab, our ability just to use language. There's gifts of service, compassion, mercy, and again, the greatest gift of all is that love. Let us deploy the gifts openly. Then the last thing, the three: language, environment, and then actions. And this is where our lives come in. We have to have skin in the game. If we want to be missional leaders, we have to lead from the front. We have to model it. Now, this isn't a call to overwork and workaholism, which I'll get to at the, my, one of my very last comments, but we literally have to model this through our actions because there's a, mil, a dime a dozen is the person who can just create language, create good ideas as though our good ideas are gonna ever be implemented. It's better to implement one decent idea than to simply cast vision for a thousand beautiful ideas that no one ever takes an action on. So there's at least four things for, as far as actions that we need to take seriously. First of all, the missional leader. We can shape an ethic of mission by ourselves committing to and modeling a missional lifestyle. I learned from Alex McManus a lot of things. Most well-known is that saying that I love so much the gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. But underneath that is a commitment to mission and evangelism. And many of our churches, those are actually committees. And we think of those as gifts. But being missional and being evangelistic are not gifts. They're values. And so we ourselves, whether we're extroverts or introverts, whether we're shy, whether it's really easy for us to talk to other people, we need to model from the top down what that looks like, which means we can be engage, engaged uh, in that. I'm always reminded in, in some of my one of my coaching groups that uh, one of my a student that had me, geez, it's been 12 years, I'm going to guess, or longer. He still reminds me that um, when he goes to the gas station, he remembers me saying, always go inside and not pay at the pump because you can at least begin to build community with the person working at the local gas station. And that's what, and I still model that, right? So always never, never go, never avoid contact with other people. Uh, be known as the friendly person. Uh, be the person that invites others into your home. Be the best tipper when you go out. But in, you know, op do things that allow you to engage in the community and model what it looks like to be an ambassador of God's abundance to other people. And Paul, words, some of my favorites uh, from 1 Corinthians 9.22. 
become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. So we have to commit and live out that missional lifestyle. Second, we need to practice a radically inclusive ministry. Again, in our heads, we already know the theology. All people on earth, regardless of race, sex, color, nationality, religion, social and economic class, all people have been forged in the image of God. That's the message. I mean, we get that from the Genesis chapter 1, the whole idea of a Mago Day. All oppression and divisions among groups into these categories, Democrat, Republican, all the divisions that we have, those are all evidences of the reality of human sin. But sadly, and we still see this, the church, both consciously and unconsciously, has perpetuated these divisions within our communities of faith. There can't be any room for that. The church that God is calling forth, the church that God is calling us as missional leaders to, to lead and embody is about radical newness. Through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, there is the true possibility of living the life that God created us to live. Those old divisions are gone. There's a new creation. As Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, for in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So what's a radically inclusive ministry look like? First of all, a true missional community reaches the people that are in its immediate proximity. I always say a church can grow as long as you release control of the people that will be driving the growth. Enough said. Second, inclusive ministry empowers women for leadership roles. Now, I fully understand that uh, some folks may not agree with that, but to me, the scriptures are absolutely clear. And in our modern world, it is critical that we empower women for leadership roles, not just lip service, but actual leaders. And I'm hoping that some of the people listening to this, I mean, there I know multiple women who are actually church planners, who are missional leaders, who model it for us. But there's still little pockets, especially within the Wesleyan community that my tribe, Wesleyan, the, the Methodist church, that haven't captured that vision. The Wesley movement in the past has historically been on the cutting edge, and we need to recapture that high ground to deploy the fullness of the people of God. Also, we're going to reject divisions along social economic lines. Missional leaders are willing to pay the price to allow the participation of poor and rich alike within our communities. Sometimes we come under the pressures of finances so that we have to reach certain kinds of people that can put certain kind of amounts of money into the plates. But if you remember how Wesley did it, you build it for the ground up and you may not see immediate financial abundance, but you start with people whose lives are transformed regardless of they are and the abundance follows. And in fact, James 2 gives stern warnings about acting otherwise. As our world becomes increasingly urbanized, 
we will continue to witness poverty. We'll continue to see the problems that are created by uh, the housing crises that we see in many urban areas. But if the Christ following movements to ever have a true global impact, and especially in our cities today, we need to take seriously the service of the poor in our own geographic areas and find ways to be inclusive in our worship. Fourth, a radical inclu radically inclusive ministry is also going to develop cross-cultural and interracial friendships as the presupposition for the creation of multicultural communities that give the world a taste of the diversity of the kingdom of God. Now, I live in Orlando. If a church in Orlando isn't diverse, we're doing something wrong. You know, too many leaders lament that the, the so-called segregation during the worship hour, but sometimes we miss the irony of the of the the only way forward is to make sure that we have and cultivate friendships relationships with people who are unlike us that could means people that maybe disagree with us politically that look differently that are different ages so look at your own friend groups if you wonder why you're not able to create missional communities that look like the kingdom of god look at your own friend group and I make no judgment on that. And again, this is to encourage you. But an inclusive ministry is a pathway to unleashing the followers of Christ to deploy the fully their giftedness. Okay, so we're, we're doing action. So you can we have to commit to a missional lifestyle. We pro, promote and practice a radically inclusive ministry. And the third thing is a missional leader can shape an ethos by empowering others to serve according to their giftedness. I want to come back to that. So we need to deploy the biblical gifts. That's also an, that's not just part of the environment. That's an action that we can take. The missional leader will work to shape the ethos of the community by re-implementing a biblical vision of the God's people by empowering followers of Christ to unleash the full range of their giftedness and, and the natural result of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Missional leaders, rather than being the driving force of every ministry within a community, will serve as coaches who train, empower, and encourage followers of Christ in the kingdom work. One of my, uh, one of my friends who's a pastor in Georgia he has a rule that you have to have a couple of people ready to go before you even launch something new. Because the, the, the problem is a lot of times vision and all the actions come from the leader. But guess what? When you leave, it all dies. So it, we need to deploy the people of God and their gifts. And then the last thing, and this is where I want to end because this is critical. The danger of what I just said with everything I said is that we just play it business as usual in this and we hear these words as oh I have to work even harder than I already am and to that I say no the best witness that we as pastors missional leaders can model is by a commitment to living a whole full life as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you wouldn't want your kids to grow up and be just like you, why would you expect anybody to want to model their life after you and your community of faith? We were created to live an authentic community 
in which we reflect God's character to the world. And we need to embody these values. And so one of the things I want to end with, a missional leader, we can shape an ethos by modeling the building of a good container for our lives that includes taking care of the, the body temple, that includes availing ourselves as first order of importance to the means of grace, scripture, prayer, worship, communion, and also, I would suggest, who models and teaches the practices of simplicity, silence, and solitude, the contemplative pieces. If we're to shape a biblical ethos for our communities, we actually have to open ourselves up to allowing God to do that deep dive work in our lives so that we can be models of the very kind of people that we hope to lead into the world on mission. Again, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing this with you. If you have questions, please reach out to me, uh, deepdivespirituality at gmail.com. You can look at my website, brianrussellphd.com. And if you're interested in, in some of the basis for these ideas, I'll have a list of books and resources, including my own books that talk about the biblical narrative, about centering prayer, about how to read scripture for deeps, uh, deep formation in the notes. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to others.